Hey everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. So today is day three of Mastering Diabetes Week. And to introduce today's guest, we have the co-founder of Mastering Diabetes, none other than Cyrus Kambada. How you guys doing? Uh, Chef AJ, this has been super fun. So thanks for having uh, different Mastering Diabetes team members come on throughout the whole week. Um, today you guys are going to get wowed by, uh, Adam Sud. So Adam's been a coach with mastering diabetes now for, I want to say three plus years at this point. Uh, and Adam himself has a truly, truly remarkable story. Um, he used to, uh, Adam used to be addicted to fast food. Adam used to weigh 320 pounds. Um, Adam was also, um, he had addictive eating issues and he had developed type two diabetes and hypertension and um, had really sort of gotten himself to a point in life where he was uh, in a very bad place, both mentally, emotionally, as well as physically. So um, he discovered the true power of a plant-based diet of a low fat plant-based whole food diet. And uh, with the help of his father, of his mother, and of Rip Esselstyn and the entire community that he was part of at that time, uh, he ended up migrating towards a low-fat plant-based whole food diet and his entire life completely transformed in front of him in a very short period of time. And over the course of many years, Adam has developed some very, very, very powerful physical habits as well as psychological habits that have helped him completely rewrite the conversations that are happening inside of his brain. And what, one of the things that one of Adam's superpowers is he's able to take these conversations that are happening inside of your head, that's happening inside of his head, that's happening inside of my head and Chef AJ's head and translate them so that he can make sense of them and then teach people what these messages mean and how they can create sustainable uh, long-term lifestyle change. So today, Adam's going to be talking about how to rewrite your relationship with food. And uh, if you haven't heard Adam talk before, you're in for a real show because this guy is brilliant. He's got a lot of energy. He's got a lot of information. And um, I think uh, the, the way that he talks and the, 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 the things that he brings to the conversation are uh, things that you've probably had inside of your head for a long time, but were never able to verbalize. Adam. Uh, thanks, so good man. Yeah. Well, now I kind of have to do a good job, right? Yeah. You <laughs> have a choice. After that intro. Um, yeah. Thanks a lot, uh, Cyrus. I really appreciate that. And, um, you know, it's, it's a pleasure, uh, to be here. So. Can't wait to hear. Uh, I, I mean, I know your story a little bit. Yeah. It, I've had you on twice, but never really in the context of the work you do with mastering diabetes, but yeah. in case somebody isn't familiar with your extraordinary story, story, which a lot of times you call from pills to plants, maybe yeah. tell us a little bit about that and then tell us how you got involved reversing your diabetes and working mm. with the mastering diabetes team and what you actually do for them. Yeah. So my story, I'm going to give you guys like the, the highlighted version. And if you want to see the, the full talk, actually, I've done two previous interviews with Chef AJ. So highly recommend going back into the archives and, and watching the fuller story discussion. Uh, but to put it in a nutshell, in, in 2012, I was at the end of a 10 year battle with substance abuse. All right. And those substances were not only fast food. There were also uh, opiates and stimulants. And my weight had reached ab about 320 plus pounds. Um, and I was living in a, an absolute state of, you know, disconnection and pain, both physically, spiritually, emotionally. And to be honest, and I talk about this openly, 
um, I attempted to end my life by suicide on August 21st of 2012. And it was after that experience that I had this profound realization that I was confronted with the potential to lose everything that was meaningful. And I think that's really important because we talk about rock bottom and I know people who are struggling with addictive eating issues or addiction, they hear this idea all the time. Rock bottom is so important. Rock bottom is so important. And what the idea is, is that rock bottom is the point where your life can't get worse. That's the idea. And I think that while that's true, the beauty of rock bottom is that it is the point at which you can no longer n deny that if you continue every single thing that is meaningful and that you love about your life will be taken from you. And it is those meaningful and loving bonds in your life that motivate you to start making changes. It is those loving and meaningful bonds in your life that are being threatened. That is why people decide to change at rock bottom. It's not because of the pain. If it was about the pain, the minute you felt it, it would be enough. It's not about the pain. It's about for the first time it's presented front and center, the real potential to lose those loving and meaningful bonds in your life. And so I checked myself into rehab. When I was in rehab, I was diagnosed with type two diabetes along with high blood pressure, high cholesterol, erectile dysfunction, and a host of psychological conditions. But my A1C was a 12. And for you guys have probably heard now, because if this is mastering diabetes, we have a little bit of an understanding of what that is, but to put it into perspective, a healthy individual has an A1C below 5.7. A person whose A1C is 5.7 to 6.4 is considered pre-diabetic. And any A1C above 6.5 or 6.5% or higher is considered type 2 diabetic, and mine was a 12. My fasting blood glucose was around 390 on average, and I was in a really uh, difficult spot. Now, luckily, very, very luckily, a year before that, I was at an event that was hosted by Rip Esselstyn, where Chef AJ was actually a presenter. That's where we met the first time back in 2010. And I had heard this amazing message about plant-based nutrition, about the potential that exists to actually reverse and take charge of your, your health and your life and to, to actually create the change that you want to see. And at the time I wasn't ready for it. You know, I, I tell people all the time, you know, what was happening was I simply wasn't willing to give up what was allowing me to escape a life that was too painful a place to be. And I didn't know any other way to do it at this point just surviving suicide, checking into rehab, being diagnosed with all these conditions, I was immediately transported back to this incredible week where Chef AJ gave her brilliant calorie density talk and all of her other presentations that are just so entertaining, uh, where I had heard Rip Esselstyn and Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn and Jane and Ann Esselstyn and Jeff Novick and all these people. And they were presenting a very different message that I was hearing from my doctor. Because my doctor was saying that I am diabetic, it's what I am, it's genetic, it's just going to get worse period, end of story. It's just going to get worse. Medication is your future. And then we're looking at if, it, if you can't manage it or control it well enough, you're looking at amputation, you're looking at all these other things. Well, what I heard from this week-long retreat was that quite the opposite, was that what was occurring was a completely reasonable and normal response to an abnormal way of living. So to put that into uh, another way of thinking was that this was a completely reasonable and healthy response to an unhealthy way of living, that my body was doing exactly what it was supposed to do, and that I was in control of my future, 
And so I decided to adopt a plant-based diet when I was in treatment. And after doing so, within the next four months, my diabetes was completely reversed. Within the next uh, 10 months, I was off of every single medication I was put on rehab. I had lost over hundred pounds and I was the healthiest I had been in my entire life. Um, I've now lost about 180 pounds. I've been sober, I'll be, I'll be celebrating nine years of continued sobriety um, in October. Uh, and I was able to join the Mastering Diabetes team about three and a half years ago. And it's just been the most incredible experience ever. And what I, what I really like to focus on and helping people with mastering diabetes because one i spent a lot of time after getting sober uh really getting to understand going back to school and studying um, nutrition understanding the science of insulin sensitivity and insulin resistance getting to know robbie robbie and i became personal friends in 2015 or 2016 then i met cyrus and so we've known each other before mastering diabetes was even a thing and at the time i was working as a health coach at the whole foods market global uh global clinic at the headquarters in austin and when I was working there, Cyrus came and gave a presentation to the Whole Foods headquarters <coughs> and he stayed with me. He stayed with me in my place. And that's when we really, really became friends. And that's when he offered me the opportunity to come and work for Mastering Diabetes. And what I was really wanting to do was to bring my perspective on rewriting your relationship with food. Really rewriting what we know to be true from real world observations and what most individuals think is actually occurring and bringing the two together and saying, here's what we think is occurring and here's what we know is actually happening and help people really take control of their story, take control of their health, take control of their lives. And it's been a phenomenal, phenomenal journey. I, I love your story. And there's so yeah. many ways I could ask questions, but one of the first things I wanna know, you mentioned how you were using and abusing drugs mm -hmm. and food as a way to escape the pain of your life. So I'm curious what was so painful in your life that you were trying to escape, but wasn't the pain created by the use of these drugs and yeah. foods almost equally as bad? Yeah, see, that's the thing. That's the thing that people seem to not understand. And this is really important. So I experienced, I, I, I've had weight issues my entire life. Um, I experienced trauma um, as a result of unintentional um, messages from family members criticizing my size and my weight. And I just began to believe at some point in time, I think it was about age 10 when I remember that I started to see that my body was this enemy. My body was an enemy, an adversary that I was trying to outcompete every single day. And I couldn't do it. I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to figure it out. Everything I was trying was restriction over exercising, but the weight kept getting more and more and more. And then finally, Adderall comes along and Adderall seems to be the magic solution that I've been looking for my entire life. And it's really important to understand why it's so compelling as a solution, because not only does it offer me the opportunity to lose weight very, very easily, the ease at which it's done and the unbelievable repeatability is so attractive to human psychology. And this goes into a lot about what Doug Lyle talks about, about with the pleasure trap, right? Is that what humans want most is to get, what humans are always trying to do is to get the most for the least. How do we get the most for the least, the most pleasure for the least amount of pain, right? The most calories for the least amount of energy. How do we get the most for the least? Substance abuse, Food abuse is the, a, is the pleasure trap personified in a way that is, is profoundly obvious, right? 
it wasn't the substance itself that I was addicted to. It was the unbelievable ease and repeatability at which I could take seemingly control over what was seemingly uncontrollable otherwise. And I bonded with it. I profoundly bonded with this unbelievable magic solution. And of course, over the course of time, that solution becomes an unbelievable problem. It will every single time, just like with food. If someone is struggling with emotional issues and they eat um, a pint of ice cream, this is going to elicit an unbelievable dopamine response that feels incredibly successful. And the unbelievable repeatability and ease in which a person could repeat that experience is very, very uh, compelling. It's incredibly attracting. And you're going to bond with this because nothing has given you that kind of relief and that kind of repeatability of relief ever in your life. And you gravitate towards it. You bond with it. It becomes a relationship that serves you until it doesn't. Until a year down the road, all of a sudden these other downstream problems start to start to present themselves to you. But you've bonded with this behavior. You've bonded with this substance, whether it's food, whether it's drugs, whether it's sex, whether it's gambling, whether it's shopping. There's a meaningful connection that has occurred because to you, it at one point was the greatest solution you'd ever found in your life to things you couldn't understand. And there's a perception that if you could just figure it out again, it will be that solution it always once was. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know what? I'm wondering, because I'm not familiar with, with drugs. I mean, food obviously yeah. was my problem. I know like with people with alcohol, it gets to a point where they're, it does, they don't even feel good using the drug, but they're using it just so they don't detox. What's mm -hmm. it, what was it like with Adderall? Because at a certain point, are you still getting those benefits that you, you enjoyed yeah. so much at the beginning? Uh, absolutely not. So, you know, in the beginning, of course, it creates this unbelievable euphoric experience and it's a, it's a dopamine in, uh, experience, right? And what you and I understand about dopamine is that dopamine is a reward pleasure chemical, which is, is important to understand that there's a difference. We have multiple pleasure chemicals that our body can produce, but dopamine is unique in the fact that it is a reward pleasure chemical. And what that means is your body is getting a signal and the signal is saying that you have just rewarded your statistical likelihood of survival meaning that your body truly believes that whatever you've just done is the most beneficial thing you've ever experienced in your life. And this is based on uh, the 90, like uh, uh, human evolutionary experience. If you think about it, humans have spent 99% of our evolution inside uh, living in an environment of scarcity. And in an environment of scarcity, the psychology of more wins every single time. In an environment where calories are not given, where safety is not given, uh, where resources are not guaranteed, if you have, if you can get more for less, you win every single time. But within the last two, three hundred years, there's been this incredible shift in the environment that's occurred, where now we have an an unbelievable abundance of calories that are incredibly easy to secure and repeat, uh, and get those repeatedly as much as we want. There's an unbelievable ability to get substances. Uh, dopamine from uh, from opiates or stimulants, and an incredibly uh, easy to procure and repeat that behavior. And our psychology, this evolutionary psychology, this dopamine system, which is like a guidance system, it's like a guidance system towards statistical behavior that increases our, our, our likelihood of survival, has no understanding that the shift has occurred. It has no clue that for the first time in human history, I can walk downstairs and eat 5,000 calories in one minute if I wanted to. 
Never in the course of human history has that been possible. And your dopamine system has no understanding that this shift has occurred. And it's still under the perception that getting 5,000 calories is nearly impossible. And so if you find it, oh my goodness, is it going to reward you for it? Oh my goodness, is it going to feel like the absolute best thing you've ever done in your life? And oh my goodness, is it going to ask you to do it again? You have to understand that this is not your body doing anything wrong. This is not your psychology doing anything wrong. This is both of those things doing exactly what they've been evolving to do, which is keep you alive. But the problem is the environment is shifted too far away from what is indicative of our natural history and our natural behavior. And our guidance system has no understanding. It thinks it's going the right direction when it's not. Yeah, absolutely. So you had so much suffering mentally and emotionally. Were you even aware of, of being diabetic for that long? I mean, that's oh, a pretty high A1C. I avoided going to the doctor for years because there's a lot of shame that was, you know, I had, again, remember what I was talking about. I was under the perception that my body was my adversary. I was under the impression that my body was my enemy. And so I fully disconnected from loving and taking care of it, right? Because I thought it was something that I was trying to outcompete and I had just fully lost that battle. I had given up on even trying to fight that battle. But what I found really compelling about my experience of surviving suicide was that it highlighted to me a truth that I had forgotten for a long time. And that is that what if surviving a suicide was my body's ultimate expression of trying to tell me what was really happening? And that is that at every single moment of my life, since the moment I've been born, my body has been fighting for me. What if my body has never been my enemy? What if it has always been my ally? Think about it. There is not a single species alive today that would be successful as a species if its body didn't want its best for it. If our bodies weren't always trying to take everything we've given it and say, what's the best I can do with this? Even when it was junk food, my body was saying, all right, what's the best I can do for this? How can I, how can I create an experience where I can either signal to this individual that I need help and still give it what it needs? What if, what if my body has never once given up on me? When I adopted that mindset, all of a sudden my perception of how I use food completely changed. Because if it's your enemy, what are you going to do? When it's your enemy, you're going to restrict from it. You're going to take from it. You're going to try to diminish its capacity at any given time. But if it's your ally, what are you going to do? If it's your ally, you're going to give to it. You're going to nurture it. You're going to take care of it. You're going to give as much support and guidance as you possibly can because you know it's fighting for you. When I accepted the truth, which is true for every single person who's watching, I'm going to tell you right now, if you're watching this live right now, the reason you're here the reason you're here and that you're alive today is for two things. One, your body has never once given up on you. No matter how hard things have gotten, no matter how bad you felt, your body has never once said, I'm done. And the second is the reason you're on this and trying to learn more about how to take care of yourself isn't because you care about what's wrong with you. It's because you care about what's right and what is good and what you love most in your life. People don't care about their diseases. That's why they don't take care of their diseases. They care about themselves and the connection that they have with people, the value that they get to share with the world and that the world gets to share with them. And they want to take care of those things. So having that mindset, food wasn't something I restricted. I became very clear, very specific and, uh, and very aligned with a direction that was going to allow me to be a caretaker for my body. Right. I didn't have to worry about restricting calories from potatoes. 
I didn't have to worry about restricting calories from, uh, you know, broccoli and brown rice and beans. These were foods that were at, allowing me to take the caretaker role of a body that was trying to do its best for me. Right. So that's sort of the, 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 the shift that occurred, that mindset shift that occurred when I was in that early stage of recovery. Nice. Do, do you remember having any diabetes symptoms though with your body? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. I remember like having to keep a gigantic jug of water right next to my bed because I was thirsty constantly. I was going to the bathroom all the time. I remember one of the last dinners that I had with my parents, we went out to eat at a steakhouse and um, I think I went through nine or 10 glasses of water because I was just endlessly thirsty, which I now know, which we, I learned eventually was that that is a symptom of diabetes because what your what your body's trying to do is get you to urinate as much as possible to try to excrete as much excess glucose as it possibly can. Again, this isn't your body breaking, that is your body trying to take care of you. If we can really look at our bodies as always doing the best for us, even the symptoms become caretaking. Even the symptoms become our body saying, I've got your back, please help me out here a little bit. Yeah, so we have a, a great question here from Ab Sorry, if I can't pronounce your name, A-B-J-K-I, Abjiki, maybe? And they would like to know, what are your thoughts on abstinence versus moderation? And if you're mm. ever pressured by people, oh, you can eat just one sort of thing. Yeah, this is a tough question because it depends on where you are in your journey. But from an overall standpoint, I'm not a fan of abstinence. And here's why, right? At the end of the day, what we have to do is we have to become very clear and very specific about what we want most for ourselves, right? And we have a very clear understanding of the direction that we need to go in order to achieve that. And then decisions aren't either abstaining from meat, eggs, and dairy, and oil, and things like that. It's, is it aligned with us moving in that direction or not? It's not right or wrong. It's not healthy or unhealthy. It's either aligned or it isn't. And I always tell people, when I work with them privately, we work for 90 days. And so I tell them, you're going to do a 90 and 90 which means 90% of the time for the next 90 days, I want you to go to this direction instead of that direction. And at the end of those 90 days, you're gonna see profound changes. Like what Doug Lyle says, you don't need to get a straight, you don't need to get an A plus on every test to get straight A's, but you do need to get an A minus. You need to get a 90. You need to do it really, really well. Here's the thing I would say, abstinence is a model that is based on perfection, right? That says that in order to be, successful, you have to perfectly abstain from certain behaviors long enough. And if ever you are not able of, uh, to abstain from it, that is an indication that your program is not strong enough. But human beings are naturally are, are in, in, innately imperfect, right? We can't be perfect. So we cannot expect ourselves to feel safe within a system where anything less than perfect is considered a failure. It just requires you to be comfortable being uncomfortable sometimes to say to yourself, I know what I want most, even though I know what I want now is not aligned with it. But what I want most is to go this direction and do that as much as you possibly can and be incredibly honest with yourself. It's okay for it to be hard. It's okay for it to be tough sometimes. But if you're very clear about the direction that you wanna go and the values and, and, uh, and, and behaviors that you wanna engage in, give yourself the opportunity to pause, consider, is this choice aligned or not? And nine out of 10 times be in alignment. Oh, that's great. Melissa says, I wasn't expecting to cry today. Well, you shouldn't. <laughs> you just have time to get the tissues. People are really appreciating what you're saying. I'm curious, you, you lost 
180 pounds. How long did it take you to lose? But more importantly, when did the diabetes start reversing? I bet even before you lost all that weight. Yeah. So I was immediately, I immediately adopted a low fat plant-based whole food diet about 37 days after I was diagnosed because I wasn't allowed to change my diet and rehab. Funny enough, they weren't about to let a diabetic eat a high carbohydrate diet, unfortunately. Um, But luckily I moved into a sober living facility after spending 37 days in a rehab hospital. And when I was in the sober living facility, I was able to choose the foods that I wanted the house to buy for me. So they had a house manager who would take a list from everybody. What do you want for, for, from the grocery store? What do you want from the grocery store? And he would write it down he'd give it to the assistant manager and they would go buy it. Funny enough, this house manager's last name was hamburger. And I told him that I wanted him to buy me oats and beans and rice and veggies and fruit and all the things that we all know and love are, are great for our health. And sure enough, he did. And, uh, within one week, of adopting this diet, my blood glucose dropped 150 points, 150 points in one week. Within three months, I had to stop taking my medication because I was going hypoglycemic too often. And then I got my actual A1C tested at month four and my A1C had fallen from 12 to 5.5, which is non-diabetic. And at that point, I just maintained, obviously it wasn't like, it's so funny. People ask me, well, how long did you, you know, were you, were you trying to do this diet? It's like, well, I mean, in the, in the first, you know, couple of weeks, sure. I was trying, I was trying because it was new, but there, there was a point in time when it stopped being something that I do and it became something that I am. And once it became something that I am, it was, I wasn't trying anymore. Like I'm not, I'm chef AJ and I, we're not out here trying to do this. We're not trying to do this. It has become part of our identity. It's how we see ourselves. It's how we move through the world. It's how I allow my body to do for me what I love that it does. That's really important. For everybody out there who's trying to understand how do I create a meaningful relationship with my diet and my body, is that loving your body is less about what it looks like as much as it is what it does for you. And so what I do is I know that I love the idea that I can wake up and I can go to the gym and I can engage in joyful movement. This is what I like to call exercise, joyful movement, whether it's running on a treadmill or lifting weights or going for a hike or going for a bike ride or just walking in the neighborhood with my partner, right? If I want to get up and she and I want to go for a long walk in the morning, I'm fine. It's no problem. And I get to make sure that that's possible because of the dietary choices that take care of my body and what it can do for me. I love knowing that the diet that I eat allows me to do the things that I love to do in a way that I've never been able to do it before. That's beautiful. There is a question from Louise wanting to know if you would be willing to address your research study on diet and mental health and addictions because it's so interesting. Yes. So uh, January of last year, I launched a research study called the Infinite Study which is the very first controlled trial to investigate the effects of nutrition on early addiction recovery. So there's never been a single study of any kind ever to investigate the effects of nutrition on addiction recovery. And so this is a controlled trial where we have, for those of you who don't know what that means, is that a controlled trial is you have a control group. This means that a half of the study participants are eating the diet that is served at the rehab facility in Austin, Texas. Then we have a treatment group. The other half of the participants are eating a low-fat, whole food, plant-based diet. 
In addition to the diets, we give them each nutrition education that matches their dietary protocol. So we have a whole curriculum of plant-based nutrition courses and a whole curriculum of standard American Diabetes or American Dietary Association, the ADA guidelines. Then we measure every single potential outcome, full biomarkers, your lipids, your A1C, uh, C, uh, high sensitivity C-reactive protein, which is a measurement for inflammation, uh, vitamin levels, and omega-3 levels. We also do a full list of uh, validated scales for measuring emotional and psychological health. And then we're also doing a microbiome study. So this is also studying the changes in the gut health as it relates to biomarkers for physical health and biomarkers for psychological and emotional health. We completed the participant section of the study back in December. We're now doing all the data analysis. And what I can tell you so far is that the, the gut microbiome is massive. It's a huge difference between the two groups. And what we're seeing is that individuals who are eating the plant-based diet are seeing a greater improvement in every single measurable outcome. Now, this is important because we're not looking at sobriety as an outcome here. What we're looking at is how does diet influence the, me the mediating factors that help strengthen recovery in the long term. So what's phenomenal about that is that this study is applicable to the entire human population. Why is that true? Because individuals at end-stage substance abuse are forced to do the work that every human has to do at some point in their life, which is face the parts of themselves in their life that no longer serve them, and then have the resilience and grace to move through it with positive change. The difference between someone who's suffering from end-stage substance abuse is that their tomorrow is a lot less promised. So the work is mandatory now, or they may not have the chance to do it. What do you do with the people in mastering diabetes? Because uh, Cyrus and Robbie were explaining the program, how there's different levels and there's these mm -hmm. small groups. Are you one of the coaches of the small groups? Do you coach yes. a one-on-one? -on -one? How does that work? So I actually do all of it. So I am a private coach. So I have I I have about twenty private clients right now where we do everything from you know uh, understanding the the requirements for dietary changes, how to track and measure their food, how to understand how to make adjustments for their insulin if they're insulin dependent or not. I also host a uh, a small group coaching call three nights a week: Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night, where it's a group of about between 10 and 30 people, depending on the day. And it's a 90 minute call. And we just do a Q&A where I really help you understand what are your biggest, most challenging concerns that you've come across this week? How do we address those so you can continue to move forward? I like to tell people that the small group calls are a series of seven day experiments where we help you discover how you make this, this lifestyle work perfectly for you. And for me, mostly it's about how do we optimize environment? And Chef AJ, I know you are a master of this stuff, is that, Yes, yes, wonderful. Mindset's great. Yes, behavior change is phenomenal. But if the environment isn't right, everything else becomes incre incredibly more difficult, unbelievably more difficult and unnecessarily more difficult. But if the environment is right, every single person has the capacity for remarkable change. Think about it. Your environment, the environment that you craft for yourself is the biggest predictor of your behavior and your health, period, end of story. If you, any one of you were on the call right now was to come and I was to take you and put you in my apartment and lock the door and say, there's enough food in there. That's the food that I eat for the next 30 days. I'll come get you in 30 days. Overnight, you'd be a plant-based eater because the environment dictated it. Your environment influences more of your behavior than you can possibly imagine. If you can simply look at your environment, 
identify the opportunities to shift that environment back to what is more indicative of our natural history and our natural behavior, you have statistically increased your likelihood of success by a huge degree. Then you use mindset and behavior change to continually optimize the environment, make your behaviors more repeatable, more easy to repeat, and more enjoyable over, over time, and you will see unbelievable success. You know, I, I just came up with a new quote and you're going to hear it here first, because I love what you said about the environment last night. I, in, in my course that I teach, Dr. Doug Lyle gave a two and a half hour presentation on this, but I just came out with this quote. Y'all are going to hear it first. If environment is wrong, willpower is of no use. If the environment is right, willpower is of no need. Chef Agent. There it is. That is so true. That is so true. Listen, if you know your priorities, right? If you know the direction that you want to go, if you're very specific and very clear about the priorities that you want for yourself and where you want to go. The next thing you do is you alter your environment to support that, th that vision. When you alter the environment, the environment dictates the behavior that leads you that way. That is the most important thing. Anybody, every single one of you on the call right now has the opportunity to just to some degree, alter the environment that you have for yourself. If you can do anything today, is optimize, find the opportunities where you can optimize your environment to influence behavior so that the healthiest choice is the easiest and most repeatable choice that you have. Yep, I love it. Thank you for saying that. When are you gonna write a book, by the way? I keep wondering. I'm actually in the process of writing a book right now. Um, I have a, an amazing literary agent who actually works with Dr. B, Dr. Will Bolsowitz. And so we're writing a book about my research study as well as a story. And so I'll keep you up to date on that for sure. Um, yeah, I'm really Great. excited about it. Uh, Robert says, this is one of the best guests you've ever had on your show, hands down. Thank <laughs> oh, thank you. So you. Much. Do you work with people exclusively with diabetes or do you just can you coach other people as well? So anybody who joins Mastering Diabetes, you do not need to have diabetes to join Mastering Diabetes. Because the great thing is that what we what we target specifically is insulin resistance, right? And insulin resistance can influence lots of other chronic health conditions, right? Fatty liver disease, chronic kidney disease, Alzheimer's and dementia, atherosclerosis, other vasculature diseases, inflammation, all these things. So if you're someone who was like, hey, I'm pretty healthy, but what I want to do is I want to optimize my health, obviously join Mastering Diabetes 100%. And we will, we will absolutely work with you. And this is a great thing to do because what's better than, than reversal? Prevention, right? This, I mean, why, if you don't have to get it, don't get it, right? You know? Right. I mean, I, I'm blown away. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but like an A1C of 12, that's like the highest I think I've ever heard. Yeah, I've, I've rarely heard higher. I know that we recently had someone in our program whose A1C was a 15. And then in three months, it was 5.5. And their triglycerides were 1100. And in three months, they were 110. That's it's, it, I mean, it's, you know, look, I wish I could say it was surprise. And I know you, 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 it's like, we just, we see it too often to be surprised anymore. You know, yeah. we see it all the time. You see it all the time. You see people who've, who struggled to lose weight their entire life. And you say, oh, no, it's not a riddle at all. This is not a riddle. Like we know to a very high degree, the biggest, most contributing factors to people's weight issues. And I'm going to tell you how to change it. And you tell them and they do it. And guess what happens? They lose weight. Do people lose weight differently? Of course they do. Is there a set timeline for humans on this journey? Absolutely not. But every single person who follows these guidelines 90% of the time or greater sees results over the course of time, 100% of the time, this happens. 
Right. Results really are typical. Here's yeah. a big question. What was a typical day when you were using food compared to now living healthy? Okay. Sit down for this one. Um, so, <laughs> I can't imagine how many uh, calories you must have been eating when doing So that. I would get up every single day and I would go to a place called Torchy's Tacos. And I would get four potato, egg, and cheese breakfast tacos. Then I'd go to McDonald's and get two supersized double quarter pounder meals. Then I would go to Whataburger and get their extra large honey barbecue chicken strip sandwich. Then for dinner, I would order an extra large pizza from Papa John's with uh, beef on top and a side of the chicken strips with honey mustard dipping sauce. Then at three in the morning, I would go back to Whataburger for three of their breakfast on a bun sandwiches with sausage. I would drink between 10 and 20 sodas a day. And when I was, when I mentioned I was struggling with substance abuse, the average person who takes Adderall, the average prescription is about 10 milligrams per day. I was doing a minimum of 450 milligrams per day, and I would do it for six days straight without sleep. So for six days, I would do a drug bender where I just wouldn't eat or sleep. And then for about two weeks, I would consume anywhere from five to 10,000 calories of fast food a day. Um, and then I would just repeat the cycle over and over again. Now, listen, I have eaten the same breakfast every morning for the last nine years, right? I eat oatmeal every single morning. Oatmeal with fruit, uh, some cacao powder in it. Um, and uh, I mean, I've done oatmeal with cinnamon, oatmeal with fruit, oatmeal with cacao. I just, oatmeal is my breakfast every single morning, always has been. For lunch, I am a sweet potato maniac. This is just what I do. Sweet potatoes are life. And for me, it's it's all about that Japanese sweet potato life. So I do Japanese sweet potatoes with lentils and greens, all about collard greens. For some reason, my green fix switched. So now I'm all about collard greens with some green beans. And I put all different kinds of seasonings on you guys. Make it easier on yourself. I don't go and buy a bunch of individual seasonings. Yes, I have them. But really what I do is I buy the seasonings that have the flavors that I used to love, like taco seasoning or Italian seasoning, or, you know, I'll put curry powder, just make it so simple, change the flavor profile with just like the sprinkle of a, a, of a seasoning bottle. And then for dinner, a lot of times it's a soup or uh, lately I've gotten into, cause I, listen, I'm, I'm actually quite an active person. I do a lot of weight training. So I eat between 2,500 and 3000 calories a day. Um, and so I love edamame pasta with a lot of greens and mushrooms and, and uh, some oil-free marinara sauce, and it's phenomenal. Um, and I snack on fruit all day. It's starting to be summer, so all the berries are coming in, and the cherries here in the Pacific Northwest are phenomenal. So, you know, it's, it's fantastic, and I don't worry about, am I eating too much? I don't worry about, am I eating too little? Uh, you know, my relationship with food is very much like I mentioned before, it's a caretaker rule. I know that there are going to be days when I eat more calories and days when I eat less calories, but over the course of the time, it always works itself out. Because like I mentioned, I have shifted my environment back to one that looks mostly like the, the environment that humans thrived in, which is a low fat, whole food, plant-based environment. Because that is my environment, I rarely have to think about how and what and why I do these things. I just know that the environment suits the lifestyle that I want and that the choices are not about restriction. They are about caretaking and nurturing a body so that it can continually show up and help me live a life that gives me the experience of being alive in a meaningful way. That's amazing. Somebody wrote something. Uh, Jeanette said, 
what I saw a really nice comment. Okay, that's going so fast because there's so many. Uh, here it is. This man's story is a testament. He will help others by sharing his struggles. Did, were you able to influence any friends or family members once they saw your tremendous recovery? Yeah, so my twin brother uh, back in 2016 was about 290 pounds. He had type 2 diabetes uh, and he was on metformin as well. And I had him come and move in with me in LA. I was living in LA at the time. And um, within six weeks, he was completely off of his medication. Uh, he completely reversed his type two diabetes. He lost about a hundred pounds. So he's about 185, 190 pounds now and medication free. Uh, and he's actually an animal rights activist. He works with a friend of yours. He's a good friend of JP's. So, I know, that's right. Oh my yeah. God. Um, and um, my parents have both gone fully plant-based. Uh, by the end of 2016, they were fully plant-based. And then actually in 2019, my little sister went fully plant-based. So now the entire immediate family is entirely plant-based and it's it's phenomenal. In fact, my dad wears all the vegan activism shirts. He says that that's that, that, that was his biggest influence. And it's, it's so fun. It's great to go home and, and see them so passionate about it. That's so cool. If somebody decides to join Mastering Diabetes, do they request you or do they get a sign say if they have type 1 versus type 2 versus type 1.5? How, how would that work for them? Yeah, so if you're interested in working with me specifically, you can make a request. It just depends on if I have any spots available for private coaching. Now, for small group coaching, more than likely you'll be in a group with me because I host the majority of the calls. So you, you will get to join one of, I think we have five weekly calls. I host three of those calls. So you can say, uh, I want to be a Monday night or Tuesday night or Wednesday night. That's my availability. You can choose one of those and I will be on that call. Um, but I'll tell you this, we are incredibly confident about the work that we do at Mastering Diabetes. And that is because our work is based on 80 years of evidence-based research. We're not gurus. We're not selling you a, a method based on our experience. Our experience is based on research and evidence that exists in the medical literature. We know this to be profoundly and fundamentally true based on nutritional biochemistry. We guarantee you that if you join our program, you will see results. We guarantee it. We have never seen a single person join our program who doesn't commit themselves to the mastering diabetes method, who does not see th themselves gain insulin sensitivity over the course of time. It's 100%. We see it, it happens. And if you're interested, we want to help you. There's not a single person out there who doesn't have the potential to completely and radically change their life. It doesn't exist. I've never met somebody who does not have the potential to do so. It does take effort. You don't have to get it hundred percent, but you do have to be hundred percent committed to doing the best that you can. Yeah, absolutely. Do you feel that Adderall is just overprescribed these days, especially to children? I think, you know, I think it is, and I'm not anti-medicine. You know, here's the thing. I don't think that the nutrition movement is the enemy of medicine. I don't think medicine is the enemy of, nu of the nutrition and lifestyle uh, movement. I think that when, when they're appropriate, it's fine. But I think that we've, we've, here's the thing. Here's how I feel. I think that treating everybody with the same medications is a lazy approach to treatment. Um, I think that Adderall serves a purpose and it can be incredibly effective. I don't think anybody, I don't, I think there's a very few number of people that should be on it for the long term. Okay. If you have somebody who's truly diagnosed with ADHD and is having behavioral problems, more than likely the environment is the biggest influence. But for a lot of these kids, there's little potential to influence their environment. I grew up privileged. 
right? If I wanted to change my environment, more than likely I could have. But there's a lot of people who don't. There's a lot of single parents who live in poverty, whose kids get prescribed Adderall. It's the first thing that calms them down ever. And in, 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 the, in the immediacy, it makes their life better. But these kids should also be given the opportunity to gain skills and tools to understand how to take charge of their life so that the medication doesn't become necessary anymore. I think that that's what should be taking place. You know, there's a saying in AA that when you're getting sober, your addiction is in the corner doing push-ups. Do you ever worry, like, is there a voice in the back of your head saying, oh, I might go back to some of these behaviors? No, no. You know, the way, the way that I see it is that um, my addiction and my depression and all those things make complete sense. They, they were less a problem of me being broken and more a reasonable response to the life that I was living in the environment that I found myself in. And once I became very clear and very uh, aware and could understand those environmental influences and why they made sense, then I was able to see that it's not crazy, it's not pathology, that this is simply my body trying the best, it's can, the best that it can to not be in pain. I think that there is a statement out there that once an addict, always an addict. What I'd love to hear people also saying is that once a human in pain, always a human doing the best they can with what they know to be in less pain. Because when someone is suffering, they will do almost anything they can to be other than, to be other than what they are, which is in pain. That's just human nature. And for the first time in human history, it's very easy to get a hold of substances that have really, really destructive long-term effects. But in the short term, they seem like an incredible solution. And it's very attractive. And so, I have made this unbelievably meaningful connection to this lifestyle that allows me to show up and be okay with not being okay sometimes and being rooted in a behavior and a lifestyle pattern that says, I'm always the caretaker of myself, even if the day doesn't go the way I want it to. I'm always the person that says, you're okay. And I would say, you know what? I'm angry or I'm lonely or I'm sad or I'm, I'm anxious and I'm okay. You know, the same way I say I'm happy and I'm joyful and I'm in love and I'm okay. Right. All the things are fine. Does the coach have a coach? <laughs> I do actually. Um, I have, I, I have an amazing team. I, I have a, I have a therapist that I see regularly. Um, and I think therapy is an amazing thing. Um, I have a, uh, I mean, my, my best coaches in the world are my best friends. You know, I, I'm so blessed. I, I think this is really important how big of an impact community has, how big of an impact like friendship has. And this is a really important part. This is something I really want to blame because we have 10 minutes left is that if you can embody the, the loving, nurturing voice, think about it like this. What if it was your friend who had just started a plant-based diet and they wrote you a letter or they called you and said, I'm so stupid. I can't get this. I keep messing up. I keep like once a week I go out and I get a cheeseburger and I don't think I can do this. What is the voice in the message that you would have in response to them? More than likely it would sound like this. You're not stupid. You probably just don't know everything yet and that's okay. And if you want support, I'll be here for you because what you're doing is incredible and you're brave and you're learning as you go and you're already making incredible change. But when we're the person who feels that way, we have a completely different voice that we use for ourselves. It's a lot more judgmental. It's a lot less caretaking. And so one of the things I help the clients that I work with is to learn how to embody that caretaking, loving voice that we give to our friends, but direct it to ourselves. 
because it's really important. It's really important to be that. So actually having good friends has been one of the best coaches in my life is Robbie and Cyrus and Tara, who you know, you know Tara Kemp. And um, these people and, and, and my partner, Laura, obviously, um, these are people that are like coaches for me. Wow, that's fantastic. You know, when I was thinking about, uh, you know, addiction, you know, a lot of times people do turn to substances because they're in pain, but sometimes it's not always that case, but then the substance itself is so addictive, the person yeah. keeps on using. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the thing is that you, you cannot escape the biochemical response um, that we have. Uh, like for any of you on here who've listened to the Pleasure Trap, the Pleasure Trap is an amazing example of how this works. Is when Doug Lyle talks about the rat in the cage story, which is not the entire truth about addiction, but it is really important for the point that he's trying to make is that this rat is thinking and feeling that it's making the best decision that it can when in fact it's self-destructing. This is what is occurring inside of every person who struggles with substance abuse. That process is occurring. There's a lot more complexity in the in the realm of addiction. There's actually a great TED talk by a guy named Johan Hari called Everything You Know About Addiction is Wrong. Um, that's really compelling and really exciting. Uh, he also wrote a great book called Lost Connections, which is about depression and anxiety. It's the best mental health book I've ever read in my life. But again, if I was to give anybody, like anybody, um, substances, they would have the same euphoric experience that feels incredibly successful and incredibly safe, right? They would have the same euphoric experience regardless. But here's the thing, Chef AJ, if 10 years ago you were to find me in my apartment self-harming 350 pounds alone, completely disconnected, and you said, Adam, here's some heroin. I want you to try heroin. And I did it. All of a sudden, I would be removed from that experience of isolation, disconnection, and pain for probably a few hours, and it would feel unbelievable. The amount of relief that I will experience was in a relief that I had not yet experienced ever. And if the next day you came back and said, hey, how was that? I would say that was amazing. And you would say, do you want more? I'll get you as much as you want. There's a very high statistical likelihood that I'll say yes. Now, if you were to come to me today, right, I have all of the, what I like to call the four meaningful bonds in life reconnected a loving and meaningful bond with myself, both physically and emotionally that I want to show up and be present for every single day, a loving and meaningful bond with people in my life that I want to show up and be present for every single day, a loving and meaningful bond with a purpose beyond myself within a community of shared respect that I want to show up and be present for every single day, and a loving and meaningful bond with a future that makes sense that I want to show up and work for every single day. If you come to that person and say, here, Actually, you don't know that, but that drink that I just gave you, it had heroin in it. I would have the same euphoric experience that I had from the person 10 years ago. And then you come to that person the next day and say, do you want more? My statistical likelihood of saying yes is incredibly low. Why? Because it removes the potential for me to show up and be present with those bonds in life that mean the world to me. More so than anything else, we have to restore those meaningful bonds and connections. And when that happens, the potential for long-term recovery skyrockets. But if we don't address the human behind the substance abuse, there's always going to be a risk of relapse. Wow. And uh, Amy says she'd love to listen to the TED Talk you recommended. If you could say the name of it, please. Everything you know about addiction is wrong. And it's by a man named Johan Hari, H-A-R-I. Nice. Sherry says, I am doing the Mastering Diabetes your do-it-yourself program as all of the private and small groups were closed when will there be openings they're open now go to masteringdiabetes.org backslash apply come, come I, I have one by. spot i have one spot available 
I have a spot available. So first come, first serve. Let's go. <laughs> wow. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Oh, that's great. So what's what's the best part of your new transform life? It's not that new anymore. It's been, but you, you know, yeah. what's, what is like the best part of waking up now? Um, I would say, you know, it's, it's the knowledge that um, when I get up every single day, I'm in full alignment of the things that give me the experience of being alive. And I'm fully aligned with my values, my behavior, uh, and my actions are all completely in alignment. You know, the Gandhi saying that what you think, what you feel, and what you do are in complete alignment. That's there's so much truth, that I, and I know it's cliche, but I, like my 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 partner says, the cliches are cliche for a reason. It's because they're usually true, um, and that's that's what it is. That when I get up in the morning, everything that I engage in is a caretaking role for myself, which allows me to be the best version of myself for the people that I love, which allows me to be the best version of myself for the work that I do, that influences the environment of shared respect that I love being a part of, that allows me to, to move my body in ways that I had never done before and can't wait to see what's possible tomorrow, right? It's this constant exploration of what's truly possible that is, it's so fulfilling. It's so fulfilling. And I know that I'm valued by people that matter to me. And I know how much I value them. And we, we share it. It's together. You know, Johan Hari, who I talked about, he has a great quote. He says, loneliness is not the physical absence of people. It's the sense that you have nothing of value to share with anyone. And I'm surrounded by people that I get to share value with and who get to share their value with me. And it's amazing. Wow. Well, then you must be the least lonely person because you have so much of value to share. I mean, just any one of your, I mean, even if you just reverse diabetes, that would be enough, you know, to yeah. share like, the fact that, you know, overcome food addiction and drug addiction and, you know, to all that. I mean, you just, that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. I bet you must be very proud of yourself. And I bet your parents must be very proud of you as well. Very, very proud. They're, uh, they, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it's great because, you know, for such a long time, I was, uh, you know, my, my dad and I didn't have a great relationship because we were so combative with each other verbally and emotionally. It was not a good relationship. And now he's my best friend. And uh, I got to run with him in a race in Austin before his running career ended. And, uh, you know, it was, it's, it's, it's really been an unbelievable. What I like to tell people is I have never seen anything that shows you how unbroken you are so profoundly as a plant-based diet. And I mean that in more ways than just your physical health. I have never seen anything do it the way that a plant-based diet does it. The simplest change on your fork can be the most profound change of your life in more ways than just your physical biomarkers. And, and Chef AJ knows it. I know it. So many people that have gone through mastering diabetes know it. And you don't have to be perfect. I'm not perfect. Thank goodness I'm not perfect. You know why? Because of perfection, what was required, I probably wouldn't be here. Like, that's the best thing is that, like, I can be up here and tell you a story that moves you and inspires you and just know that, like, I'm as imperfect as you are. But I never said I'm done. And I never take no for an answer, not even from the universe. If the, if the universe is like, I don't know, I don't think you can do it. I'm like, well, I don't care what you think. I'm still going to do it. That's, I just embodied this mindset that said for nothing or no one, am I going to stop? Because I'm worth it. I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to give my body the opportunity to show me what it's capable of. If I consistently show up and do the things that I know will help me move in the direction I want to go. 
when you talk, it's so motivating. I keep hearing that Starship song in my head, you know, we can build this world together. You know, that I keep, I'm like, you're so motivating. Amy says, don't I you? I actually love that song. You have no idea how much I love that song. <laughs> I mean, that like, I just get so fired up. Amy says, don't you want to give Adam a hug? Yes, I do. If he was the person, I would. So that, you know, and when you talk, you know, and then I start hearing Dr. Greger's voice in my head, like, is there nothing a plant-based diet cannot do? You know? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So no, no urges for junk food anymore or anything like that? Oh, of course there are. You know, I'm human. I'm human like everyone else. And when I have a temptation or a craving or an urge, I ask myself three, quest three questions. Why did this craving arise? Why does it make sense? And then knowing the answer to those two questions, well, how would my highest self respond, right? Because when I can identify why it's happening and why it makes sense, like I said before, then it's not crazy and it's not pathology and it's not weakness. And it is a reasonable response to what is occurring in my life right now. And once I know that, then I'm the observer of what's happening. And I say, okay, if I was my highest self right now, which direction would I go? And 90% of the time or greater, I go in that direction. And look, I'm as human as everyone else. I'm not sitting here saying I've never had not a move vegan ice cream. You, bet you, you better believe I have. And it's fantastic. But 99% of the time, I have, I have an ice cream, banana and ice cream because I know that that's the direction I want to go. Nice. Well, you are just uh, just such a force of good in the world. So I'm so glad that suicide thing didn't work out for you. Me too. Best failure of my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got a great sense of humor. Thank you so much, Adam. It's so great getting to meet the Mastering Diabetes team in the context of Mastering Diabetes. Thank you so much. Always great to see you, Chef AJ. Well, same here. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow for day four of Mastering Diabetes Week when we have another one of their wonderful coaches, Wendy Sullivan, who's actually going to be doing a Mastering Diabetes food demo, easy and convenient breakfasts and lunches. Thanks again, Adam. Come back anytime, especially when that book's out. Thank you so much.